Welcome to the confessional. I'm Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your funniest. Confess to us. No one's listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the Confessional Podcast. My name is Mike Moran. I am joined, as always, with trusty uh, producer who is uh, is dropping his phone <laughs> as I drop my coffee. This has been an untrusty start for both of us. It really say. has, but that's all right. Uh, how you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing well, dude. I'm doing well. I feel I, I thought I I messed up by dropping my phone, but you dropped the coffee. I dropped so that's, while I was berating you for dropping your phone. I dropped my. That's coffee. called what we call in the industry karma. That's uh, instant instant karma. karma. Mm. Um, how's uh your your podcast going? It's going well, dude. Uh, I was telling you before the show, we're up to a very consistent, very nice uh episode every nine days not nice. quite weekly it's not quite bi-weekly i've actually been thinking to myself that time seems to be moving very fast as we've discussed right and i almost feel like a week should be nine days i feel like a nine day week seems more my pace okay interesting that could be a topic for another time you know there's no word for that phenomenon of time speeding up i uh, discovered that recently huh no i didn't know that well, we got some amazing guests today jimmy <laughs> <laughs> For another yeah. time. Well, of course. I mean, nobody knows that. <laughs> if it knew, more people knew it, they'd come up with a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't we, have, all that we time. have uh we two returning guests, two of my favorite returning guests, Jimmy. Uh-huh. Number one, we have our friend from the True Crime Campfire podcast, who I believe won some you got some accolade. You, like you, you got like 50th best true crime podcast or something. Yeah, well, it was 61st, but yeah, we got on the front page of Apple. We were really excited wow. about that. And yeah, 61. And it's pretty cool because, you know, most of the top 100, if you look, they're like professionally produced shows. We're just in our, you know, living room, <laughs> mom and pop, you know, so kind of a little indie show. It's fun to be in the top 100. Well, anyway, please welcome Whitney Lee, Whitney Lay, everybody. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Number 61 in the 61 charts. in the world. Yeah, of every of every true crime well, podcast, Apple. but yeah. number one yeah. in our hearts, as absolutely. They say. Number uh, one in our hearts, number exactly. seven, eight. Nine. Okay, yeah, yeah, top top nine. <laughs> well, no, that's that's great, Whitney. Congratulations on that. You definitely thank you deserve all your success. I'm totally not jealous at all. Um, <laughs> but just real quick, tell us where we could uh, where, where listeners can find the true crime campfire. Any anywhere really that you listen to podcasts, we're on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, all of them. Okay. I don't think yeah, I guess it's, there's really no need to ask where to where yeah. to find those things these days. Yeah, it was a thing like five years ago. Yeah. To ask. Now it's like, dude, right. it's a even, podcast. even web, websites and stuff. It's like just you know you'll find yeah, it exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's on the internet. You can find us in the raindrops and in the swishing of the wind. Right. Yeah. Everywhere. I look. I see you in the the face of children. Yeah. And there a child's go. laughter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the bubbling brook. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> a bird song in the morn. <laughs> uh, so Whitney's the co-host. Again, there's really no difference between the co-host and the guest, but we Whitney's our co-host this week. And our guest is from the amazing series you probably remember from a few years ago, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Okay. About the Golden State Killer. 
Yes. You know, I think you weren't on the episode we did with him. I think Sue produced that one. Yes, but if there's one thing I know about the Golden State Killer, it's that my boy, Paul Holes. Oh, right. Got him. Right. Well, we have the other Paul H. Oh. Oh, this isn't... (laughs) No, we have uh, Paul Haynes. Paul Haynes. Hi, Paul. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good to be back. Thank you so much. Great to have you back. Thanks for doing it. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about horror sequels, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I believe this is our second horror sequels show. So you might say it's a sequel in and it's of itself. It's a sequel in and of itself. It really is. Part Will two. it be better than the first is the real question. Electric Boogaloo. That's, that's, the, that's the pressure. That's the, How are we going to top that first one? I know. We can expand the universe, add new characters. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but that's about Cameos. it. Cameos. <laughs> Lots of CGI. All right. So we're just going to jump right in with a confession here. This is from Dave Kennington from Cambridge, UK. Wow. Yeah. Great school I think school that's out there. west somewhere. Mm. West, yes. Uh, Dr. Sleep is probably the best example of a horror sequel done right. It masterfully respected both Stephen King's original novel of The Shining and Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, bringing resolution to what was seen as a, as decades of artistic conflict, as well as being a fantastic and engaging story in itself. And the scene of Danny fighting alcoholism contrasted to his father's succumbing to his inner evil was beautiful beyond words. Also, in an age of reboots, remakes, and recycled ideas, I genuinely believe that Mike Flanagan is probably the best thing to happen to horror cinema in decades. That's a very well-written confession, Jimmy. It was. There's a lot of words I had to think yeah. about. Whitney, have you seen the uh, the Sleep MD? Yes, I loved it, actually. And it's funny, because even people who didn't, who didn't like The Shining love Dr. Sleep. You know, it's a great movie in, in its own right, I think. I love what this guy pointed out about Danny fighting alcoholism and how they're... I didn't even notice that, I have to admit, when I was watching the movie. But it makes a lot of sense, you know, that that was his dad's big, you know, demon and made him prime real estate for what was going on at the Overlook Hotel, right? Right. Because it was his big weakness. And that's kind of how, how demons and ghosts and spookies always worm their way in. Right, so right. So I think that's a great point. Yeah, I loved that movie. I thought it was fantastic. Well, I'm glad you've seen it because neither Paul nor I have. No, I did. Oh, you, I did oh, you, oh, you got a chance to watch it? I did get a chance to watch it. I love The Shining so much. Me too. And, and I fucking hated <laughs> Sleep. All right. Well, great. We have it, counterpoint. It, it, was, it felt endless. It felt dense with backstory and plot. Yeah. The Shining does not. I think maybe that's why Stephen King so hated Kubrick's adaptation because yeah. it pairs down... Uh, and, and, you know, Stephen King has this penchant for overwriting, which maybe works on the page. His novels are very thick. Uh, but on the screen, you know, and I think that's why in the 90s there were so many Stephen King miniseries because mm. the format uh, right. theoretically is ideal for Stephen King's density of, of narrative. Uh, but my favorite Stephen King adaptations are the one the ones that are the sparsest mm-hmm. and the most pared down. I think The Shining is the best of them. Doctor yeah. Sleep feels like TV. It 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 seeks to do to The Shining what 2010 did to that other Kubrick film, 2001. Mm. So for those that don't like mystery, that don't like ambiguity, maybe for those that, as Whitney said, that don't love The Shining, Doctor Sleep. I love The Shining. But is, yeah. is 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 you know uh, an antidote. Uh, hmm. But I love the mystery and the ambiguity of Kubrick's movie, and I did not appreciate how Dr. Sleep um, 
tries to provide context and resolution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that because I usually hate that in movies too. Like I usually like there to be mystery, but, and I, the one thing I didn't like about it, like if I had to give you a criticism, that would be it, that there was too much kind of like fan pleasing, you know, like, mm -hmm. Oh, here's all this callback to the shining and, you know, yeah. and it didn't let it, you know, be its own movie. But yeah, um, I could see what you're saying. Absolutely. I love this. I love, love, love the shining. I, so I also love, you know, the shining aesthetically. I think it's, uh, Oh yeah. Usually. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, sonically distinctive movie, whereas Flanagan's Dr. Sleep, it it looks like everything else that that's in that genre that's on streaming and it's on screens. It has that over, you know, like desaturated uh, color corrected look that kind of like CG sheen. And Kubrick has been accused of being a cold filmmaker. The Shining has been called a cold movie. Mm. But that aesthetic, that that contemporary aesthetic where everything looks over processed, that that more than cold, it feels totally soulless. Hmm. And I, I may have also just been in a bad mood when I watched it. <laughs> it's all relative. <laughs> Sounds a little yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should just mention I uh received some very bad news yeah, right before yeah. I watched. No. Like, geez. Um real quick, I always ask this uh about the shining. Do you guys think um there's a how did you interpret the shining? Do you think it's a puzzle movie that you can put together to make sense or is it supposed to be surreal and make no sense? I think it's whatever you want it to be. I think it's like David Lynch's stuff. Right. Uh, I think it makes emotional sense and that's that's the right, line right, that right. it yeah. often uses uh, for those who um, have trouble, who struggle with Lynch's work. So that's the beautiful thing about The Shining. I think that it's a puzzle that can be assembled in an, a nearly infinite number of ways. Um, so there is no one perfect resolution or interpretation of it. Whereas with Dr. Sleep, it tries to provide that. Yeah. So in a way, right. in a way it's antithetical to what Kubrick's film does. Right. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I like movies where there could be a paranormal explanation but there could be a psychological explanation too and i like when they don't tell you like the answer mm -hmm. you know i think mm -hmm. that's the, one of the fun things about the shining yeah absolutely Which, and that's a perfect segue i think into the other horror sequel let's that, do it uh one of your exorcist three. Oh, okay well let's read that confession exorcist then 3. uh oh, so man. that we got uh our friend christopher stephen toth from a place called baltimore maryland hmm feel bad for that guy yeah that sucks uh christopher likes exorcist three great performances arguably one of the best jump scares and will forever change how i think of the spelling of it's a wonderful life i think we all can relate to that <laughs> mm -hmm. i look at this movie as an extension of the aforementioned david lynch had made an x-files episode about a serial killer i will always be scared of an old lady crawling on the ceiling as you should be that always scares me she had the cutest buggy eyes hmm. Also, Dorif's and Scott's scenes were just so magical, and the fact that it was supposed to involve no exorcism, while it could have hit the jump the shark moment, he managed to make it work and also show that if you were in the know, it wasn't needed. This as well. Uh, just before uh, we get into it, this uh, are you familiar with the Exorcist Three, Jimmy? Uh, I honestly don't know. I feel like I've seen all of them through bits and pieces. Right, but right. I don't know which was which. Well, it's uh, when it came out, everybody hated it and it didn't do well, and uh, it's it since gained a cult following. Gotcha. And it's uh, and some people even like it better than the original. Wow. And, it, and it's notorious for uh, one of the best jump scares of all time. Although I would uh, I would uh, argue that the three time mentioned David Lynch's jump scare in Mahalam Drive is probably number one. 
Um, and what was the jump scare in Exorcist Three? The old lady on the ceiling? No, no, that's a whole different one. Hospital, hospital corridor. Yep. Oh God, it's it lives in my head rent free forever. That scene. <laughs> I just watched this movie the other night, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, well, let's, I've been uh, sleeping with the lights on. <laughs> let's start with Whitney then. What's <laughs> what's your what are your thoughts on Exorcist Three? Well, I have I have mixed feelings about it. I love it. But also it frustrates me because what the the listener said about the exorcism, mm. you know, I would love that movie much more if it didn't Yeah, it was have it was shoehorned in, right? Crap in it. Yeah, like exactly. The, it was supposed it to be called be Legion, great. Jimmy. Yeah. Legion. That's what the book is yeah. called. Yeah. That's and what then, the book is called, right. <laughs> and they they made them change it to Exorcist Three. Because it's like a kind of a spiritual sequel spin-off kind of thing. Okay, so it wasn't even originally supposed to be a direct No, it is. I mean, it's the same characters and stuff. But it's uh, it's not you know it's it feels more like a spinoff. Gotcha. And they made them put in actual exorcism in the movie. They did reshoots. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so they kind of they, they, yeah. They originally wanted to cast Jason Miller uh, as Father Karras, uh, but the problem with Jason Miller at that time was that he was battling severe alcoholism and couldn't remember his lines oh. and he couldn't do it. So they brought in Brad wow. Dourif, and uh, in casting Brad Dourif as sort of this like uh like almost this avatar that's inhabiting multiple people uh there's an ambiguity about what's actually going on right. uh but then after the film was done uh, morgan creek the production company looked at the cut they didn't like it they wanted uh they they wanted to shoehorn in those exorcist elements so they brought in jason miller they reshot yeah with him but again he couldn't remember his lines so then in the final cut they alternate between right. Jason Miller and Brad Dourif. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's, that, that's a film yeah. where well, there are two versions, one of which is ambiguous and one of which is more like patently supernatural. Is it? Uh, did they release the, the director's cut? So the, the the director's cut that was initially screened, that version was lost. Yeah. And uh, Shout Factory reassembled it oh, uh, okay. from uh, multiple sources. I think they used the uh, VHS tapes of the dailies. Mm. So there's uh there's variations in quality. Oh, uh, I but that's see the that. best, you know, the best uh, version of the director's cut. Oh, there okay. Is. Wow. I'll have to check that out. Uh, did you see that one, Whitney? Or did you see the, the, no, uh... I was just thinking I would love to see that one because I think it would be a much better movie. Right. If they had left all, off all the Hellraiser shit at the end. You know, it's like suddenly you feel like you're watching a totally different movie and it's just silly. And where did all the cool stuff with Gemini go? It's the most geriatric cast for a horror movie ever, too, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very possibly. One of them. But maybe for the visit. I think it works so well. Exorcist 3, it's right up there for me as like one of the great horror sequels of all time. You know, and when you think of like the, when you ponder the question of like great greatest all time horror sequels, the obvious suspects are Dawn of the Dead, Bride of Frankenstein, Evil Dead Two, and those films are all nearly perfect. Whereas Exorcist Three is flawed, right? It's compromised. It's quirky. Uh, it's actually quite funny if you listen closely uh, to the dialogue. Absolutely, in the, in the beginning and a cameo but, by uh, Fabio. Oh, Fabio cameo. By Fabio, I'm listening. Patrick Ewing. Yeah, in the same shot. A cameo. Fabio and Patrick Ewing in Heaven as Angels. Wow. It's amazing. Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, He's there? Yeah. Oh, wow. Briefly. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. But that is, for me, that, that film, uh, it just gets better every time I watch it. Yeah. It sustains it, it, its sort of creepy feeling of, and this is, I think, captured in the original film, too. Of the presence of of evil, mm. uh, and the hospital corridor sequence, and I don't think 
it'd be wise to say much more about it right. for those who mm -hmm. haven't seen it. But it is one of the most frightening things I've ever seen in a horror film. It's so well done, and it's it's the buildup is what yeah is what really makes it so effective. There's mm -hmm. four minutes of buildup to the jump scare, and it's wow. just I mean I'm getting like uh, goosebumps thinking about absolutely. It. Oh god. Would you uh, would either of you put that uh, up there with or above the original? Yeah, oh, hell yeah. I really? Would. Yeah. I, I okay. I'm I might be the wrong person to ask about this. Okay, because I never found The Exorcist to be particularly scary, and I know everybody says it like scared the crap out of them. But my whole thing is like, if that is the worst, you're literally a demon from hell. That's the worst you've got. I mean. If it were happening to me, I wouldn't enjoy it. I'm, I'm, of course. Or if it was happening to someone I love, but just as a viewer, really, like it's just hilarious. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. The, the famous, know, really? the famous TV edit is, uh, is uh, your mother so socks in hell. Right. That's one of the best TV edits of all time. What the hell were they thinking? Melon farmer. Yeah, you know I mean, line from uh, the TV cut of uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, motherfucker. <laughs> melon becomes a melon yeah. farmer. No way. Oh, my God. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Melon farmer. So silly. Wow. That's They're almost... fine with all the violence and gore, but <laughs> right, the, we yeah. can't say motherfucker. God help us. The thing with Watch the original the Exorcist is, and I, I watched it. Uh, I watched it as a teenager. I didn't find it scary, but I, I thought it was moving as like a, a like a harrowing yeah. family drama. You know? Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. As I've as I've gotten older, I, I do find it more more effective and more frightening. But the thing is, it's like it's so venerated. It's there's no uh, you know debate over the quality of of Friedman's mm -hmm. Exorcist film. Whereas Exorcist three was panned mm -hmm. and largely ignored yeah. when it first opened. Um, and it is a quirkier, more interesting. Uh, uh, you know, more, I think, creatively uh, singular movie. Uh, it was directed by William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original right. Exorcist novel, who wrote the script for the Freakins movie. And he had only made one other film, a film called The Ninth Configuration. Yeah, yeah. Unclassifiable. Uh, that's, if, if for your listeners who haven't seen it, absolutely check out The Ninth Configuration. Well, that one, There's he considers like that the sequel to The Exorcist, right? Because that has... The astronaut that Reagan says you're going to die up there too uh, is the character in the ninth configuration, right? Yeah, that's right. But but it's like a, it's more of a cousin to the exorcist, right. I feel like than a than a sequel. And you know what's crazy? Um, there, but there's... it's not a horror film. It's not it's not classifiable as as any uh, I think genre. Right. Yeah, I saw it a long time ago. I need to see it again. You know what's weird though is they uh, the the real exorcist boy is from here in Maryland. And uh, they, he died like last year. No one knew who he was for decades, and uh, they just found out he did work at NASA. Oh snap! Which is weird. Wow. All right. Any more thoughts on Exorcist Three? I got to see this jump scare. You do. Well, just watch the whole movie. We'll October. Well, yeah, I guess. Just searching for a it'll jump be scare. on AMC at some point. Oh yeah, <laughs> just fast forwarding <laughs> through the. I'm not jumping. <laughs> All right, so Paul, what is your favorite horror sequel? My favorite horror sequel. Well, there are those that have sentimental value to me that I wouldn't endorse artistically, like Creepshow Two. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Creepshow Two, I, I think, was the first horror film I saw. Really? Um, me too. I, what? I remember watching it on. We might be about the same age. I remember watching it on TBS. In yeah. like 1989, 1990, with all the gore cut out, and when I rented <laughs> it and saw the the intact, non bottlerized version, 
um i it was like revelatory at the time uh and you know the original creep show is a better movie but for my age and, and how i you know um first came up upon creep show too that has um much stronger nostalgia value for me um and it's the one that I, I can more easily sit down and watch, much like Exorcist Three. I feel like I could watch uh, more often and more easily than than the original Exorcist. Wow. Uh, I think the horror sequel that's the biggest step up in quality from the original mm-hmm. is uh, the made-for-TV 1993 sequel to When a Stranger Calls. Which is, oh my god, I love that movie. When a Stranger Calls Back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. it's yeah. is that the one where he's he's painted like the wall? Yes. I yes, swear I, I swear to God, one. I have a memory of seeing <sighs> that trailer in the theater. Really? Then, yeah. And then it never and then like it never came out. I wonder if they were gonna release it in theaters and then No, didn't. I think it's I think it's a Mandela effect moment. Okay, it might have been <laughs> yeah. Showtime. Uh but I, I, I saw that on Showtime at like three in the morning when I was twelve. My parents were in bed, the house was dark. And that oh, movie Jesus. scared the shit out of me. It was the first yeah. movie that really scared me. And, and I was so paralyzed with fear that I couldn't go to bed until the sun came up. Oh, man. And yeah. I did not. I never rewatched it until just last week in anticipation of doing this. And it holds up. Oh, oh yeah. It's I love still just really effective. The original film isn't that good when A Stranger Calls. I think that it opens well. Right. And it opens with uh, Fred Walton, the director, had just filmed that two years earlier. He had made a short called the sitter uh so he's done that three three times and in when a stranger calls back he perfects it uh-huh. the opening 25 minutes uh is like a master class and how to build really? tension and suspense uh and then the film i think sustains it for the most oh, part. wow and the villain is is unlike any other villain i've seen interesting i've never i think heard, that I've... one could have been the original you know like sometimes you see a sequel and you're like that could have just stood by itself right. like we didn't need the first one every now and again I can't think of many examples, but that's a, a good example, I think, of a movie I, where I we would didn't suggest, need the first one. I was just just skipping the original, if you haven't Exactly, seen just watch the and second I, one. Well, you got to watch that first just sequence, though. Back. you got to watch the first act. Well, I don't think it's necessary. Eh, I, think, I think When a Stranger no, I, I think Back could... works as a standalone movie. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. He didn't, we didn't need the first one. Is it <laughs> is it like a direct sequel, like there's characters, or is it kind of a pseudo-remake? Yeah, Carol, Carol Kane and Charles Durning return so they remember the events from the original. Uh, uh, I can't. Carol Kane, I think, becomes a, a crisis counselor uh, yeah. <laughs> as a result of her experience. And uh, but but you know it, that's all sort of acknowledged uh, in the sequel. So you know mm-hmm. that's the only context that you need. Right. Right. Wow. Interesting. I'll have to check that one out. When a stranger calls back, made for Showtime. The stranger calls back, and there was a third Showtime. sequel or a second sequel planned that I think fell through. Uh, Fred Walton was developing it with Miramax. I don't know what the title was. Yeah, we can only speculate. <laughs> when a stranger calls back again. Right, right. Would be the logical um, title for that. Right. When a stranger realizes he forgot to ask you just this one question and he has to call <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> when a stranger texts. <laughs> when a stranger hits you up on Facebook. When a stranger's so all over your DMs. Early 2000s, so maybe the age of Star 69 could somehow <laughs> work into that. Nice. All right, Whitney, what is your favorite horror sequel? Well, um, if I had to say, okay, my favorite, somebody might argue with me on this. I, I'm going to pick Aliens. Because although I would, I get the argument that it's not really a horror movie, that it's more of a sci-fi action flick. Mm-hmm. 
I get it, but it's scary as balls. It scared the shit out of me. The first one's scarier. I get that. But the second one is so much fun. And Ripley gets to play such a awesome role in that one. Like that scene where she's in the mech and she's fighting the alien off. And, you know, we get the cat and the cute little girl. I'm all about aliens. That's my favorite. All right. All right. What do you think, Paul? Does that count as a horror film in your book? It, it didn't surface when I was thinking uh, of horror sequels for this, but I, I, I would say I would say it's a it's a, um, a genre buster. It crosses genre. Yeah, line. I think it's right. interesting. Exactly. When that it's an action. I prefer it to uh, the, the original as well. I got to tell you guys, I never really got into the sequel for some reason. I've tried to watch it multiple times in my life. Just doesn't really do it for me. I don't know why. I'm kind of bored during a lot of it. Maybe it didn't hit you at the right time. I mean, I, I don't know. I saw it in college, you know, with a bunch of friends, and we were just laughing our asses off. You know, Bill Paxton, they're going to come in here, and they're going to come in here, and they're going to come in here, and they're going to kill us. Like, just that's just hilarious. Right. Maybe it just didn't hit you at the right time. I, Paul Reiser's I a great secondary villain, too. Did you go to college, Mike? Oh, my God, right? Mm, yeah. Community college. that little weasel. Sartan <laughs> <laughs> <Starting> hat. <out. laughs> what, about, what about horror franchises? Friday the 13th, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, oh, I love Halloween too. I, that's one of the best. Halloween sequels, too is I think. It's yeah, really I agree. solid. I agree. Like I get Halloween that three is fun as well. Yeah. Oh, I love Halloween three. Silver Shamrock. Although I was so yeah. confused when it first came out because I remember <laughs> you know watching it way back in the day. I'm like, where's Michael Myers? You know, you're just wondering where Michael Myers is for like the first right. half of the movie before it dawns on you that oh okay, yeah, this is a different. I remember. Entirely. I remember it said on the back of the box that Michael Myers wasn't in it, so I was expecting it, but then I I I avoided it because I wanted Michael. And then when I saw the fourth one, I was like, this makes no sense picking up from part two where they were both burned to death, where both Michael and yeah. Loomis were piles of ashes. So there must be <laughs> something in part three that explains all this. Part three apparently was such a failure that they they rebounded to the Michael right. Myers narrative. Right. And four, five, and six are, are nearly identical. They're like carbon copies of each other. Yeah. Uh, I literally just watched five at, at work today. On the oh, me too. I watched it yesterday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Fear Fest time. Fear Favorite Fest. Friday the 13th sequel? Three. Here's the thing about, I love two as well. I love all of them two pretty much. The They're just funny and hilarious. But three is where, where Michael, oh, sorry, Michael, where Jason gets the mask. Jason without the mask is just kind of like Cher without the hair. You've got to have <laughs> that hockey mask or it's a no-go for me. It's not as much fun. Right, yeah. So that's why I like 3 the best. And 3D, like, who doesn't love that? It's like the man with the yellow hat from Curious George without the yellow hat. Yeah. Exactly. That's it's, the he's not Jason Dr. until... Dr. Claw. Uh, <laughs> without a face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how many more well, metaphors can we go with? Yeah. Uh, two. Two is my favorite. That's two. the one that I think uh, it kind of it kind of cleaned up the, the, uh, the sucky things about the first one, like the pacing... And uh, mm -hmm. all the empty space, and it's just a great like campfire slasher movie, in my my opinion. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that makes no sense. Like it took me years to figure out that Jason wasn't supposed to be undead in that one. You know, I thought he yeah. rose out of the lake, and and he was zombie Jason from the beginning. But apparently, no. the The retcon in it was that Pamela's massacre in the first one was just a big whoopsie because he wasn't actually dead. He was living in the woods. Yeah. Which yeah. is is just really convoluted. But uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of st stupid stuff in that one, but uh overall I think it's the best one. 
It's really like, you know, I think of all the 80s horror franchises, Friday the 13th is the least ambitious. Uh, None of the sequels really does anything different from the other. Uh, That said, I think Friday the 13th Part 5 is uh, my favorite. Oh, you're one of those guys. It's the dirtiest. I mean, it's directed by a guy who'd made a porno in the 70s. Uh, no way! Release, I didn't know that. Yeah, he did a sleazy movie. Danny Steinman did a really sleazy movie with uh, Linda Linda Blair uh, called uh, Savage Streets, and uh, you know Friday Thirteenth Part Five. It has the most interesting like peripheral touches. Um, some of them are like really filthy. There's like this, this scene where like the the waitress is getting off work and she's meeting her boyfriend who's waiting outside. He's like a cop or sheriff's deputy, and she like sprays her cleavage with right. Naka before doing a line of coke. There's the guy in the outhouse <laughs> who's like he's got bad like diarrhea, yeah, and his girlfriend's outside so uh, harassing him, and he's like, "You're gonna get it, bitch!" Uh, for casually threatening domestic violence, yeah. uh, and then he like they sing a duet, yeah, while ooh, he's still in the baby, outhouse, ooh, baby. and then it's amazing, yeah, 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 and then he like pulls up his pants without wiping, uh, <laughs> oh, which maybe, it's just movie, maybe that's just movie shorthand. <laughs> Like, like you never see people. Yeah, I mean, come on. What do you want? You want to see a full wipe? The Halloweenies podcast always points that out. How in those movies nobody wipes their ass. Yeah, but uh, we got to do a quick changeover. We got to change the reels. We just got a cigarette burn in the corner, which means we got to change the reel. So we're going to call you right back. Okay. All right. Okay. So our last confession is from Corinne from Hillsdale, Michigan. Evil Dead 2 is one of my favorite movies, but that's more of a we made the movie, we made the first movie and it was proof of concept. Now here's the movie with the funding to do more cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I love Evil Dead 2 also. An Army of Darkness and the whole Evil Dead shebang. Evil Evil Dead 2 in terms of budget and independence is is in the perfect little sweet spot of they have enough money to do exactly what they want to do and they're not accountable to a studio mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as sam raimi began making bigger movies I, I think they they lost something something of the charm that you see in the first two evil dead movies mm-hmm. you know there's like a specificity to to certain moments even in the first one that you lose when you're working on on the scale of like a spider-man 2 uh evil dead 2 i think is uh it's just perfect yeah I would agree with yeah, that. I uh, I I generally do not like horror comedy, but mm-hmm. Evil Dead Two I absolutely love. Like I I don't like Army of Darkness at all. It's just like too cheesy, too that. silly. Um, but Evil Dead Two is like it's almost so over the top, shocking that it's it ceases to be comedy and turns like back into horror because it's so like nothing grinds my nerves like that movie. It's so relentless. Hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the you few. Don't like, huh? You don't like Army of Darkness. That that blew my mind because yeah. I would have definitely pegged you for an Army of Darkness. Everybody else seems guy. to love it. Well, watch it again, dang it, until you agree <laughs> with me. Um, all right. So, how about this? Let's go th- what horror sequels would you guys want to see? What do you hope to see? What do you think needs a, another entry? Whitney Damn, that's a good question. Um, I'm gonna need that a minute. Is a haymaker of a question, I gotta say. <laughs> I gotta yeah, say. I'm gonna need a minute on that one. Damn. Wow. Am I the mm. only one that obsesses over uh, the fan, like the the franchise films that I want to see really bad all the time, and creates his own plots and stories and everything? Yeah. 
No, I don't think. I feel like it's like uh, everybody thinks about it, but nobody right. really ever says it. I've been <laughs> well in context, Jimmy. I don't. I don't go to like you know. I don't go to to. Uh, I mean, the gall of you to bring that up on a horror sequels <laughs> podcast, but everyone... Michael, that's the type of thing we keep to ourselves. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Look, I, I understand you grew up in a Catholic family. You don't talk <laughs> about these things. You keep it to yourselves. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. Wow. I I'd just love can't to see a proper thinking. Creep Show 3. Mm, okay. Yeah. Creep Show. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask about our least favorites, and I had a whole list of those. So this <laughs> All right, we, we can do guard. that. We can do that. Apparently, this one is too challenging. What movie do you definitely me? not want right. to see a sequel to? <laughs> what what well, sequel um, do you wish didn't exist? That's any a good and all too. of the the Hannibal. All like, of them. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I didn't like any of them. So I nothing, nothing of after Manhunter. No sequels to Manhunter. Exactly. Is what you're saying. Exactly. Nothing. Well, no, no, no. I'm just kidding. I love Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> but nothing after. Yeah, nothing right, after Silence right. of the Lambs. All that hand, like where he's got Ray Liotta at the table and he's legating his brain while the poor bastard is still alive. That was just gross. Yeah, you never. And I read the never books. sit at a table with Ray Liotta. By the way, someone's getting yeah, their brain nothing eaten. Nothing good can happen. Some kids getting shot for delivering the wrong drink. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're yep. all right, Spider. You know how it is. <laughs> It can go nowhere good. Yeah, that one really, the Hannibal movies were really stinky in my opinion. I mean, it's not like I didn't watch them. I watched all of them. I liked Red but, Dragon. Um, I gotta oh, say that damn it. Why'd you bring up Red awesome. Dragon? You're right. I forgot about Red Dragon. No, you're right about that. You're right. Red Dragon was good. But that's the thing. It didn't have, it, it didn't, wasn't Hannibal, you know? And I like the TV show Hannibal a lot. Yeah. But I think, you know... It, Sounds like you totally like the Hannibal vibe. franchise, I <laughs> No, I hated the movies. I hated them. I hate all of them except for all the films all and the TV shows. That. Other than I the movies the... and TV shows and books, <laughs> I cannot stand Other... Hannibal. <laughs> I'll tell you what I hated. I hated it that they tried to, what do the kids call it, ship Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling. That's what stuck in my head. Ship? Draw. What does that mean? It means they tried to create a romantic connection uh, between them. Right, right. Which is just really icky and would never happen in a zillion years. Also, Hannibal Lecter is just such a stupid character. Like, as a true crime. Well, his name is early, Hannibal. Yeah. That's what I can't yeah. get past, is that they named him Hannibal. When yeah. He's a cannibal. Yeah. Han- like, it rhymes, you- Hannibal. rhymes with cannibal. That's, like, on, that's yeah. like what you you do when you're writing a story when you're, like, eight. You know what I mean? <laughs> Paul. See, the thing is about, about that, Thomas Harris actually t- went to Quantico and talked to real FBI profilers, okay? And, and this, you know, his books were actually well-informed to yeah, a certain point. Like, I sure. think Buffalo Bill is actually a reasonably realistic character. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Red Dragon is a reasonably realistic. Dollar Hyde, he's a reasonably realistic character. Right. Hannibal Lecter is absurd. Like, that would never right, happen. yeah, yeah. You Paul, know, what, because he's like Moriarty, you know. Yeah, yeah. Paul, what uh, what sequel do you hate? I I think the Candyman needed no sequel, yeah, needed no oh, reboot. Yeah, yeah. Cronenberg Cronenberg's The Fly certainly did not need a Fly Two. Right. I know that the Fly Two has some defenders. Frank Frank Darabont wrote the screenplay. Oh wow. Um, Candyman Two was directed by Bill Condon. Uh, they've both gone on to you know much much better. Th- better things but those two sequels are totally superfluous and, right. and pale echoes of really fantastic 
horrible. Right. Yeah. You know, actually, when I uh, when I asked this question on Facebook, somebody actually chose Candyman Two as one of their favorites. Really? Really? Yeah. He's yeah, a defender. What about House Two, the second story. Never saw that one. Yeah, as the best title, I think the best title. <laughs> that is, Andy, yeah. yeah, that's seen. a great title. <laughs> well, the, your your one. sister is a werewolf is the best title for a sequel. Oh my god, that's my favorite <laughs> Howling movie. I actually have never seen the Howling movies either. Are they worth a, a yeah. binge? Uh, the sequels are a variable quality. Uh, I, just as I have like a sentimental attachment to Creepshow Two, Howling Five. I remember I wanted to watch it so badly. I watched it scrambled. Uh, oh really? Review like the Spice <laughs> Channel. <laughs> Yes, yeah. uh, uh, but Howling Two is the most fun uh, okay. of all the Howling movies. Nice. It's it's bad. It's a bad movie, but it's such a blast. And I, I uh, the How Did This Get Made covers it really well. Oh, cool, oh, yeah. cool. I love How Does This Get Made. All right, so uh, before we wrap up, any final thoughts on sequels? We want to get out. This is like Jerry Springer. We do a final thought at the end. <laughs> really became kind of. <laughs> More superfluous than Candyman 2 after a while once yeah. the show became nothing but uh, yeah. people beating each other up. Final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, where can um, folks I, find you? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Whitney. No, it's okay. I was just going to say I like to shoehorn in that I really kind of liked 10 Cloverfield Lane, even though you can't necessarily call it a sequel. But it's, Well, I, I like it when the, the sequel is not, you know, it's kind of an ambiguous. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's I would consider that a yeah. sequel, you know? It's like it's a sequel yeah, if the director says it's a sequel. Yeah. It made me really nervous. It was very tense. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I heard the third one was not very good though. I haven't seen the third one, but yeah, I loved seeing um John Goodman as a villain. Well, that was John much Goodman. like what was the term you used, Paul? Uh, a genre buster or Yeah. yeah. Genre buster. We should do an episode on that. That's genre a, busters. Cool yeah. Okay. We should. Uh, yeah, nice. that'd be great. That's great sweet. Topic. You guys want to come back for that? Hell yeah. yeah. For the genre busters. Who are you going to call? Genre busters. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Whitney, where can we find you online? Uh, we have an Instagram, um, True Crime Campfire. I think we're just True Crime Campfire on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. We have our own website now, actually, True Crime Campfire Pod. Nice. You can awesome. buy merch and check out pictures of us and everything. Nice. So, yeah. Hell yeah. And, Paul, where can uh, people find you on the socials? I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, Threads. My handle is the Paul of Haynes, H A Y N A S, and uh, I'm I'm only intermittently active of late. Okay. So, caveat. All right, all right, that's fine. All right, guys. Well, let's uh, let's plan on doing a genre busters episode sometime soon because I feel like we didn't get enough time together today. Absolutely. So I would love Pretty to good. see you all again. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you, Jimmy. Oh, thank you. And we will see everyone next time on The Confessional.